0: Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock, I'm Will Westerkow and I'm joined today by Stanton Hall. Welcome.
1: I'm glad to be here, Will. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Stanton, you are in a band called The Zags?
1: I am in a band called The Zags, not to be confused with The Zags being the the unofficial nickname of Gonzaga. I always hope to be famous enough to get slapped with a seasoned assist. We're still waiting.
0: And are you, in fact, named after the historic antebellum mansion in Mississippi?
1: No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, It is funny, though, because... um, I came across that years ago, or someone told me about it. It's a little weird because, you know, it's a plantation yeah, right, where people were right. enslaved. It's not something you brag about. I mean, I
0: didn't assume that your parents were yeah. like, this is the best slave plantation. But. <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm ever in Mississippi, obviously, I need to go there and show my ID and see yeah. if I can get in for free. So, sure. you know, Yeah. Come show me your old slave house. You know, M- like, maybe the Zags could play there. <laughs> yeah. <that> would. Be <laughs> the optics are really good on that.
0: Yeah. So the Zags, uh, how would you describe this band? Is this
1: power pop? Yeah. I mean, we've been around about five years now. When we started, it was pretty high energy, songs coming at you in a rush type thing. And as time's gone on, we've gotten a little slower, maybe because we're getting tired or something. I don't know. But uh, we're working up a new record, which would be our third full length at this point. And the songs definitely are getting mellower and uh, a little bit more emphasis on the craft, I suppose, rather than
0: the tempos. All right, cool. Well, we're, we're here today to talk about November 1990. Yes. Uh, kind of a big month, a lot going on in the world. In November 1990, Margaret Thatcher resigned as the UK Prime Minister.
1: Everybody's weeping over that. Uh-huh.
0: The last week of November, the film Home Alone begins a 12-week run at the top of the box office and goes on to become the third highest grossing film in the US of all time. Still? Up to that point. Oh, no. okay. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's since been uh, knocked a few pegs lower. Oh, I bet. I don't think I saw that when it came really? out. Really? I was a little too old for that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I Actually, I went to see it with my fifth grade teacher as mm-hmm. like a prize with some other kids for like winning the spelling bee or something. Well, I mean, fifth grade, that's like a fantasy yeah. right there. You know? Oh, yeah. So,
1: <laughs> Do you know what you were up to in November of 1990? Okay. First of all, 1990 was a big year. Mom, I had my first drug experience that year. Uh <laughs> You're right. I was on drugs at least one time. Okay. Wow. okay. all comes out here. <laughs> on- it, it, it is confession yeah. time. But yeah. It, but I think even more important than that was my first band it was in 1990. Yeah. What I mean, was your band called? We were called The Options. Okay. I was in the band because I was friends with the other band members mm-hmm. and no one wanted to be the vocalist.
0: Was this like a hardcore
1: band? Uh, no, no. It was like, um, kind of like garage pop. I would say that Jonathan Richmond, okay. they might be giants or the kind of influences that were apparent. My singing style, if you can call it that, was more like the Lou Reed talking thing. Mm-hmm, um, okay. I didn't have any confidence as a singer. Um, it's ironic because later I very much got into learning instruments, writing songs and singing them. But at the time, I just wanted to be in a band because mm-hmm. I just imagined myself being in a band and they let me in. And that's where it all started with with that. Yeah, It was a lot of fun. I think we played two shows in a neighborhood garage and that was it. But it was a glorious time. I mean, I, I just remember being so excited the first couple of times we practiced. It was like, it was just such a thrill to be making music with somebody. I'd never done that before. Right.
0: Yeah. And you got that taste and kept going. Totally.
1: I just kept going to my, my loved ones regret, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you know when you got into modern rock? So I think my entry point to modern rock was from two records that came out in 1987. One was Document by R.E.M., Mm -hmm. and I got to them through that song, The One I Love, which was a hit, like on the main chart as well. And then the other one was Love and Rocket's Earth, Sun, Moon, which had the song No New Tale to Tell on it. I love that record. And I just found it recently on vinyl and spun it again. It's actually an even better record than I remember it being, which is pretty cool. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed and it's just a fantastic time to get into music. There was a lot of quality on the, you know, and a lot of crap too. But you mm-hmm. forget about the crap; you just remember the good stuff. So, yeah, that yeah, was good.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, you want to jump into some music? I definitely do. Yeah. Stop uh, talking about myself. Too. <laughs> it's an interesting month because we have no new number ones to talk about. All right. The previous month, "Merry Go Round" by The Replacements. You mean from Paul Westerberg, uh, under the name <laughs> of The Replacements? Sure, yes. <laughs> and uh, been caught stealing. By Jane's Addiction. Those two are kind of bouncing back and forth, fighting for the top spot. They do that all through the end of October and all through November and part of December. So no number ones for us. Mm -hmm. But we do have number two. And our first number two song of the month is called Don't Ask Me by Public Image Limited. Indeed.
1: Yeah. So yeah, anybody at my high school who wore a PIL shirt was immediately either a freak goth or, of course, really cool, depending Uh on who you were. This song... Mm -hmm. First of all, I don't know if you realize this, but that song is really hard to find. Is it? Yeah, it's not available on any streaming service. So I did a little research. So this was put on a Greatest Hits by P.I.L. called The Greatest Hits So Far or something like that. And this was the bonus track, the new track. And that album has been, I guess, discontinued or, you know, something else has superseded it. Despite the fact that this was some kind of hit, you know, whatever collections have come later to not include this song. It's almost like they're embarrassed by it. Okay. Um, but when I first heard it, I just thought it sucked. But uh-huh. then I was like, well, I need to give this another chance. I listened again and I started to like notice words that Johnny Lennon was saying. And so I looked up the lyrics mm-hmm. and it's actually a really clever song about environmental degradation and just people just like, you know, acting like it's not happening and, and you know, just raping and pillaging the earth. And it's just a your environmental song, but it's done with that kind of like sarcastic John Lydon braying tone. Right. And it's actually the lyrics are actually quite hilarious, mm-hmm. even if I don't think the song is very good.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, for those of you who aren't super familiar with Public Image Limited, this was a band formed by John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, from The Sex Pistols. You know, The Sex Pistols didn't last that long, and I guess he was looking to break out of the confines of the punk movement, and so he was looking to be a little more experimental, a little more avant-garde.
1: And they were. I mean, mm-hmm. Early on, they were pretty fantastic. Yeah, And then they uh, kind of changed a little bit. Yeah, they got a little more pop, but mm-hmm. John Lydon always had this kind of edge to him that made it interesting i mean he's he's a very forceful personality you know and he does and he kind of imprints itself on everything they do so while i like, like this song for example while i find the the music totally disposable there's still something about his presence his lyrics that makes it at least somewhat compelling right you know well let's listen to it let's yeah here we go don't ask me no more tiny paper it's gone just like the trees do you like the taste of money isn't it best without the bees? you so. right
0: That song's totally goofy. <laughs> it's <laughs> really goofy. It seems kinda like a nursery rhyme sort of thing. Oh, yeah, it's very sing songy mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, but I like hearing John Lydon's voice. Yeah. He's and compelling. He he's intriguing. Rules is ours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can definitely say if you were a Public Image Limited fan from way back yeah, and yeah. this came out, I can totally understand if you hated this. Oh, yeah. Thought they were yeah. sellouts or whatever label right. you wanted to throw at them. But, right. but you brought up the lyrics and.
1: <laughs> yeah. Read the lyrics. Nothing in that in that song in the lyrics sounds like it's dated. It all sounds like the shit we're dealing with right now. With right. climate change and every and fields of plastic in the oceans and all that stuff. Right. Colony collapse disorder right. for bees. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean it's really prescient, I guess, you know.
0: Like I said, I like listening to him. I think he sounds cool, but I saw the video too, and yeah. he did not look cool. Something, <laughs> something Some about him in this video. Goofy video yeah. Super goofy, yeah. yeah. One thing I did discover, though, is that the music video was directed by one of Bob Dylan's sons. Not Jacob, I assume. No, not Jacob. No. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. What's the other one's name? I can't remember. Danny? I have no idea. Danny Dylan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess what happened was... John Lydon was not really into the idea of doing music videos, but he was given a list of possible directors Uh for this video. And he's like, "Uh, sure, Bob Dylan's son, that sounds funny. Like, let's just do that. (laughs) But he ended up really loving working with this guy. He looked like like
1: he was really into it,
0: like in the video. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm a little surprised, frankly, this song was a a modern rock hit. Mm -hmm. I'm a little flabbergasted. There was a lot more good stuff out there, and I just find it strange. It went to number two. Number two. Yeah. I find that a little strange. I find it a little strange as well. Yeah. And also just the fact that I was so immersed in all this and somehow I didn't notice this song. Mm-hmm. I,
0: it could have been that it was getting play in certain regions. That might have been and it. not
1: in Georgia. Yeah, we're too busy listening to Driving and Crying or R E M. Yeah.
0: All right. So we're gonna move down to number four for our next song. We've got a band called The Cocteau Twins. Very good. This is a Scottish trio, often referred to as a dream pop band. This band was formed in 1979, and... I know sometimes they're they're held up as one of the three pillars of British indie music along with New Order and the Smiths.
1: Really? That's what I, you know, that's what I've read. I mean, the first two make sense, but I never thought of them as being a yeah. pillar. They certainly weren't as big,
0: but I mean, I think there's yeah. a lot of bands that were influenced by them or at least, oh, yeah. you know, continue with a similar sound. Maybe
1: that's like a long after the fact thing. I think thing. probably cuz so. their influence is definitely felt today. Right. For sure.
0: And I think the most distinct thing about them is probably the singer's voice.
1: Elizabeth Fraser I think it's a beautiful voice. It is a, it is a beautiful it, voice. It's it's also totally, totally in, idiosyncratic. And, yeah.
0: and frequently incomprehensible
1: <laughs> lyrically. Oh,
0: certainly. Yeah, at this point, they're moving in a slightly more mainstream direction. They still sound just like the Cocteau Twins, yep. but you can start to understand some of what she's
1: singing. I will say I looked up the lyrics for this song, mm-hmm. and there's a reference to Jericho. And until the moment I looked it up just the other day, thought she was saying Cherry Coke. So. I, I thought
0: the exact same thing. I was <laughs> I listened to this song, yeah. and I said, oh, finally, I can understand what she's saying. She's singing about the magic of Cherry Coke. And then, I, yeah, I looked it yeah. up, and she says, you're the match of Jericho. That's it. You're the match of Jericho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever that means. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Two of the band members are actually married, and so they had their first child yes. in late 89, and the other band member also had his first child in late 89.
1: I also read that uh, during the making of this record, that her husband, I think his name is Robin Guthrie, yes, uh, had a severe cocaine addiction and was like suffering from drug-induced psychosis. Mm. It's a great condition in which to make music. Yeah, I'm N- sure.
0: New baby, new album yeah. you're working on. <laughs> yeah. So the album is called Heaven or Las Vegas, uh-huh. which sums up how I feel about Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> This is their sixth studio album and many consider this to be their best album.
1: I just listened to the whole thing the other day. It is wonderful. It's a wonderful record. Yeah. It's really good. And this album was the first to reach the top 100
0: album charts in the US, managing to make it to 99. I bought the tape, so how could it not? <laughs> <laughs> You're I the was, difference I, between I, yeah, I over the edge, 101 then. and 99. Hey. Way to go. Yeah. And the, the song we're gonna hear is called Ice Blink Luck. Yes. This song was their highest-charting single in the U.S. It reached number four on the modern rock charts. And just for those of you who want to know, An Ice Blink is a white light seen near the horizon, especially on the underside of low clouds, resulting from reflection of light off a field of ice immediately beyond. Whoa. Yeah. That's... Still doesn't clarify anything for me. No, but...
1: but I did not know that until... Today. Yeah. So now I've, I'm still like gaining knowledge even as I age.
0: Yeah. Great. (laughs) And I think we all know what luck means. So,
1: but do we in this context? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
0: It's like, you remember the beginning of pulp fiction and they like define pulp and fiction for you. And I'm like, I still don't, I don't get it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's listen to the song Ice Blink Luck by the Cocktail Twins. All right.
1: song yeah it's just a great song it evokes a feeling it it just it's really interesting sounding it makes you feel something and i think that most songs don't do that you know and yeah feels so good i mean <laughs> yeah yeah so right. uh, you know it's um what do you think of it
0: gosh my initial impression was that i didn't like it as much as carolyn's fingers i mean this is more like a pop song mm-hmm, it is yeah, yeah yeah i was listening to it just now and i was thinking do I like the song? Do I not? There's certainly something compelling about it. There's certainly things I appreciate about it. Mm-hmm. And while I was contemplating whether I liked it or how much I liked it, I just kind of got sucked right up into it. Yeah. It was like stopped thinking and started
1: feeling stuff. Yeah. This is definitely a band where you, you're not supposed to like think about what you're you're doing. You just, just sort of lose yourself in it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know it's just this wash of sound. But what I was noticing just now, I mean, as a bass player, I was just noticing that that bass line is almost like an R&B bass line. It has this bounce to it that is like um, really rhythmic and very propulsive. Mm -hmm. So that's just another thing about the song that's cool. But I think what really made me love this song was like seeing the video when it first came out. The video is very kind of hazy and psychedelic. kind of looks like they're playing in the Northern Lights or something. Elizabeth Fraser has got this uh, look in the video that's, she looks like a character out of a, like a 1940s noir just kind of standing there with this like you know very good posture and she just looks frankly like beautiful mm-hmm. and interesting and the overall effect combined with the song is that whatever they're doing whatever world they're in that's the world you want to be in in that moment. Right. You know, I guess the video did its job. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, it certainly does seem like a different world. And that song is probably the most Accessible poppy type song on that album that that album is really great heaven Mm. or las vegas and the one before it is bluebell knoll Which is also really good That's my take on the cocteau twins. Yeah, I'm glad that we got to listen to that song again.
0: Great (laughs) Yeah, I listen to stuff like this sometimes and I, I wonder like are Scottish people all like this? <laughs> you know, like it seems so different and exotic to me, but I go like, well maybe if I was Scottish it would just be like, oh yeah, this that's what we sound like.
1: I have to say the Scots have a really high great music to population ratio. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard to deny that. So, something in the lock. You know, so, I, I yeah. <laughs> drink from that. Yeah.
0: A couple extra things I was going to mention. After breaking up with her husband, uh, Robin Guthrie. Probably a good idea. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> uh elizabeth fraser uh she went on to have a romantic relationship with jeff buckley really singer musician mm-hmm. didn't he die like mid
1: 90s yeah he did were they like together at the time he died
0: i'm not sure huh. i read that they both had fallen in love with each other's voices that would be a power voice couple yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. too bad they never recorded together well you or know what? Did they?
0: they recorded a duet demo Which was never officially released, but it's floating around the internet. So, if anyone is curious, and you should be immediately. Yeah. uh, (laughs) The song is called All Flowers in Time Bend Toward the Sun. Holy crap. I got to hear this. Yeah. Wow. You know what? Why don't we just listen to a clip? All Flowers in Time, Bend Toward the Sun. Cool. The other thing I want to say is, now that Cocteau Twins are are no more, you would think Elizabeth Fraser would be in high demand as a vocalist, and she has been asked by many, many bands to be a guest vocalist, and she mm-hmm. turns most of them down. Mm-hmm. She's appeared on a Massive Attack song or two. She was asked by Linkin Park but turned them down. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a natural fit. I don't understand. Yeah. But... You may have heard Liz Frazier actually singing in a couple of the songs from the Lord of the Rings trilogy because she was brought in to do some vocals on a couple of tracks there. And that totally makes sense. It does. I I didn't know that, and then as soon as I read that, I'm like, uh, yeah, of course. Because right. if you're gonna do like some kind of elvish, mm-hmm. you know, non-human vocal work, like you don't Absolutely. want you don't want the audience to understand what the lyrics are <laughs> because you don't want it to seem English. You know, and want it's se- otherworldly. Of course, exactly. Yeah. So. so yeah that's pretty cool, yeah all right. We're moving down to number five on the modern rock charts. We're gonna hear a song by Iggy Pop. Mm. yeah, <laughs> there's a lot we could say about Iggy Pop. He had a lust for life he he did <laughs> he did. He did. Um, Zero body fat Yeah (laughs) (laughs) Iggy Pop's uh, His birth name Was James Osterberg Jr. I think all his friends Call him Jimmy actually Yeah That's what I've read Okay They don't don't call him Iggy But you call him Jimmy Jimmy Pop Jimmy O Yeah The Iggy name comes from One of his early bands Which was called The Iguanas Mm. So he picked that up I mean, he was in a band called The Stooges, and
1: he's pretty well yeah, known for that. He wanted to be everybody's dog. Yeah. yeah.
0: The Stooges is an interesting thing because I feel like they're super, super famous, and yet, at the time, they were not really a successful band.
1: Yeah, they are one of those, you know... Only x number of people heard them, but eighty mm-hmm. percent of them formed a band, that kind of band. <laughs> yeah, and they and
0: they were um, at least now considered proto-punk. And, oh yes. Yeah, and, and a lot of the early UK punk bands were admirers, and you know, Sex Pistols mm-hmm. and the Damned covered Stooges songs. Sure. David Bowie was a fan. Indeed. And Iggy Pop actually co-wrote "China Girl" with David like, Bowie. He did the original, I think. Mm-hmm. Which I I had no idea that the original was released like eight, ten years before uh, David Bowie made it a hit. Yep. So that's kind of cool. My first exposure to Iggy Pop was through his cover of the song Real Wild Child, Wild One. Who's
1: the... The original artist? Yeah.
0: So the original version is by Johnny O'Keefe. It was released in 1958. Ah. But I I first heard the Iggy Pop cover, Uh and this song, to me, as a kid... It was inescapable in the late 80s and early 90s. It was everywhere. Which song are you talking about now? Real Wild One. Really? Wild Child. Yeah. this. Song. I'm not familiar with that. I'm going to have to look it up. Or maybe maybe once maybe I, if hear, I You want to hear
1: a I, bet the, I yeah. bet the moment I hear it, I'll, yeah, know, yeah. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that one. Like I'm that a one. Ooh, yeah. I'm just Like a dance like that one. Oh, yeah, wild one. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, But I don't think I knew it was Iggy for some reason. Yeah, I
0: weird. mean, I, I'm sure I didn't know it was Iggy Pop at the time. Yeah, but right. this song showed up in Problem Child. Do you remember the movie Problem Child? John Ritter.
1: The original. Mm-hmm. Not one of the heralded sequels. It
0: also showed up in Problem Child 2. <laughs> it was in Adventures in Babysitting. It was in Crocodile Dundee 2. Good Lord. Crocodiles in the City. Good for him. And then non-Iggy Pop versions showed up also in Pretty Woman. And the Jerry Lee Lewis biopic, Great Balls of Fire. God, I've learned so much here. I, I had no idea about any of this. Insane. Like, so in a five year time period, this song was in every movie. It was probably in Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would make sense. Yeah. You know, any movie about a, a. It should have been wild, in Home Alone. You know, any kind of crazy kid. Yeah. So in 1990, Iggy Pop releases his 10th studio album, Brick by Brick. This was something of a comeback album for him. Uh, his 80s albums were not very well received, and this one, um, critics liked it, fans liked it. Uh, had a couple modern rock hits. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hear a song called Candy, and it's the second single from Brick by Brick. It's a duet with Kate Pearson from the B-52s. Who were huge at the time. Mm-hmm. This was also his only song to ever appear on the Hot 100 which is kind of crazy despite being in 10 different movies real wild one wasn't mm-hmm. a hot 100 hit lust for life is famously not a hit
1: song i can't believe search and destroy didn't go straight to the top 10 <laughs> it, well go straight to my top 10 exactly god i love that song <laughs> yeah yeah so his, his yeah. only hot 100 hit that's interesting. You know what? It it's deserved. It's a great song.
0: Yeah, and you know, this song does show up on a lot of lists of greatest duets of all time. It should. It's not quite uh Neville Ronstadt, but uh oh, Well, they're what just, it is? they're what just is?
1: going for a totally different effect, yeah. but yeah.
0: Uh, let's go ahead and listen to it. Here's Candy. No!
1: would say that the verse, the build-up, it's not essential stuff. It's not fantastic, but it serves as necessary purpose of building up to the chorus. Right. And that chorus, as a songwriter, you know, that's like in this elusive goal where you you want to write something that immediate, catchy, simple, and just kick ass. I mean that that is a kick-ass chorus. Right. And they repeat it a bunch and they should repeat it because that's the meal ticket of the song right there. The way they combine their voices is, you know, just intense and it's really impressive.
0: It's not like groundbreaking music or anything.
1: No. it's roots, it's kind of rootsy sounding. Yeah, yeah, but
0: it's it's just such a joy to listen to. It's like listening yeah. to two legends yeah. having a real good time singing together. And it's interesting that it takes almost. I think it takes more than a minute and a half before Kate Pearson comes in. It's almost yeah. shocking.
1: You know, no. Oh, it's a duet. I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, because when she first comes in, it's on the chorus, so it's almost like she's a backup singer, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, there she is. She's, yeah, you know, small town girl. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Doing her talk. Yeah, her voice is. So Sores and he's kind of gruff yeah it's real uh, fun to listen to yeah i have to go back and listen to that whole record i don't i don't know if there's stuff on there that's as good as that but that was it's a great song
0: mm-hmm. so. yeah iggy pop right around this time not only was he putting out a pretty solid new album but he was branching out into acting territory and in 1990 he appeared in some episodes of tales from the crypt i can see that he was a semi-regular guest on the adventures of pete and pete <laughs> And he also had a role uh, a couple times on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. No way. Yeah. What did he do? He played Yelgrun. Uh, the Vorta. Oh my god!
1: I could just imagine, like he's like, "All right, I'll come on to your show, man, but you gotta give me the, you gotta give me the the prosthetics and the pointy ears and all that stuff, man."
0: Yeah. That hairdo too. It looks like a <laughs> it looks like a big hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else? I can't back this up at all, but. People have claimed that Iggy Pop is the first performer to stage dive. Oh, I wouldn't doubt that. He invented stage diving. That totally makes sense. Whoa. Do people still do that? It's been a while since I've seen a stage
1: dive. I've seen some crowd surfing. I have a a modern rock crowd surfing story. Cool. And I'm just going to do this because I'll get my sister to listen to this. We were at a Teenage Fan Club show during the modern rock era in 1991. She somehow got up in the air, Mm -hmm. or up in the crowd, (laughs) I mean, was passed to the front got up on the stage, kissed a member of the band while he was in the middle of singing a song. And just before the security guy grabbed her, jumped back into the crowd and surfed right back to where I was standing. Nice. It was a very impressive move. I may be remembering that wrong, but I believe she was not apprehended.
0: I'm amazed that she was able to steer her surfing right back to where
1: she wanted to go. Yeah. She rode the it, curl. It could have been just a total coincidence. She ended up right back with me, but I believe that she ended up right next to me, and I was like, oh, wow, you kissed so-and-so.
0: Cool. All right, uh, we're going to talk about the Pixies, which, by the way, a lot of people get real snooty about that if you call them the Pixies. Um, I don't know if you're one of those people. The, I'm aware it, that the is not part officially
1: yeah. of the name, but like, I'm, I'm not that pedantic. Okay, you know? yeah, because it, it does say Pixies <laughs> right, on right, all their albums. Right. Yeah, But I was just reading a tour diary
0: of Frank Black's from 1990 and he referred to his own band as the Pixies well, they're, in they're writing it's so it's it's settled. <laughs> yeah so you can call it what call them whatever you want all right yeah, cool. that's what I'm gonna say all right so the Pixies formed in 1986 this is Black Francis aka Frank Black indeed. aka Charles Thompson the fourth and uh, Kim Deal who went on to the breeders yes had a lot of success there indeed and Joey Santiago and David Levering, and these guys are kind of a big
1: deal. They were at the time. I was a fan. I recall that uh, this is in the days before you would have your phone in the classroom. You would sneak your cassette Walkman, and I would listen to my Doolittle cassette. Or if you're really edgy, you would bring in your Surfer Rosa cassette uh-huh. with the topless photo right. on, the, on the album yeah. cover. Oh, don't get caught with that. <laughs> Yeah, but yes, huge fan. If you were into modern rock at the time, you were a fan, right? There's just yeah, no way around that. I mean, they yeah. were
0: they were the coolest, and they never quite had that big huge success in the U.S., but they they were pretty big in the U.K. Yeah, they headlined yeah. Reading, right, which is you know a pretty big deal. They're famously referenced as being an inspiration for "Smells Like Teen Spirit." At least Kurt Cobain said "Smells Like Teen Spirit" sounds like a Pixies song. Uh, I always thought it was more than a feeling, you know, but that, that was some kind of ironic take on that. Sure. Riff, I think. Yeah. So, so by 1990, the Pixies had released two albums and an EP, mm-hmm. uh, all of which are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And three quarters of the band moved down to Los Angeles to uh, start thinking about working on a new album. Mm-hmm. Kim Deal did not move down there with them. She was getting started on the first Breeders album.
1: There were some band tensions at that point. A little,
0: yeah. A little bit of band <laughs> tension. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, they all got together, and unlike previous albums where they had written a bunch of songs and rehearsed for weeks before going into the studio, for this album, they wrote their songs in the studio. Sometimes Frank Black, he was writing lyrics like five minutes before they recorded them. Yeah.
1: This record, Bossa Nova, is something that at the time I thought was pretty disappointing, there were two big problems with it. One is I just didn't think the songs were as good. But at the time, I remember like one of my complaints was that, where's Kim Deal? Like, mm-hmm. you know, They they don't give Kim Deal her, her moments. But I will say on this song, she's pretty evident. Right. So that's, and it's, that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, I think critics at the time felt similarly to you. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of flack. Generally, the reviews were along the lines of, they've lost their edge, this mm-hmm. isn't as heavy... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just listening to this album and there's plenty of songs that are really heavy and hard yeah. and screamy. Oh, oh yeah. Um, there's, that, one song,
1: there's one song that's nothing but screaming. Yeah, yeah so. that's that's not the problem. The problem is that the songs just aren't as good no, on a whole. they're not. And the energy really starts to fade in the second half. And mm-hmm. and this record is, by most band standards, it's a great record. Yeah. But by the Pixie standards, don't, this record's a victim of the standard they set. This record, and frankly, Trompe Monde, which is really, to me, like Frank Black's first solo record. Yeah despite the fact that there are a lot of really great tracks on both, um, yep. including the one we're about to hear.
0: Yeah. If you if you follow internet music journalism mm-hmm. at all, which you shouldn't because it's terrible, <laughs> 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 the backlash that the Pixies got upon reforming mm-hmm. was horrendous. And that was with Kim Deal. Yeah, initially. Yeah, initially, yeah. Initially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was like zero star reviews, horrible things said about them, writers calling them the fake pixies and saying that they should never have reformed because they're just a shadow of their former selves. And this is something that they were dealing with back when they released Trump Le And this is something that
1: they were dealing with when they put out Bossa Nova in 1990. See, I don't have any problem with any of that because first of all, they never got their due when they were in their original run. They didn't sell nearly as many records as they should have. And so when they came back, they went on tour And they played for thousands of people, and they made a a ton of money, I'm sure. Yeah. Good for them. To me, that's like deferred payments for for everything that they should have made back in the day, because they should have been one of the biggest bands in the world. They weren't. They were like the biggest cult band in the world, I guess. I have no problem with that. So we're going to hear the second single
0: from Bossa Nova. Somehow we missed the first one. It did chart on the modern rock charts, but there was just too much going on that month. Valoria. Valoria was the first one. That's
1: a great song. Mm -hmm. Although a horrible music video. Have you seen that thing? I remember the night it premiered on 120 Minutes and Dave Kendall goes, and the Pixies for this record have made a terrible video in my opinion, but here it is it's kind of a provocation. It was like a screw you. And I don't know who the screw you was directed at, but it was unmistakable. Right. But then dig for fire, they made a proper video and then they stuck Allison on the end of it. If I recall, and they're like, they go out in space suits on on a football field or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: But still not a great video. I don't think. No,
1: the song was way better in the video for sure.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we're going to hear their second single dig for fire. Here it is.
1: i i like that song a lot yeah it is a really good song it's probably i guess testament to their talent that they could make up something seemingly on the spot like that, or in a very short order, and have it come out that good. I can't say that for the entire record, but certainly that song.
0: Yeah. And like you said, this one features not a ton of Kim Deal, but you hear. more than a, on a lot of the songs on the album, yeah. which is nice. I yeah. like that. I don't know. I mean, I think it's catchy, but it's also weird. Yes. You know, it's uh, lyrically unusual for sure. <laughs> yeah, And not just lyrics, it's, it's yeah. delivery-wise. Oh, uh, certainly. Yeah. Uh, huh? No. <laughs> At the same time, yeah, this is this is moving a little more clean cut, a little more tame. Oh, pixie puns everywhere, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, like when I when when they get to the guitar solo, I think on a previous record, Santiago would have unleashed some kind of yeah. totally bizarre thing, and here he's essentially mimicking The course line, yeah. Yeah, 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 which just always rubs me the wrong way. I mean, I never liked that about Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I Weezer started doing that on their third album, Forward. And it's just like, wow, your your solos were so amazing on previous albums. Why are you just playing the melody line? One way to avoid
1: that is you come up with a whole different chord progression for the instrumental part. And then mm-hmm. you never have that problem. But to me, yes, it sounds like the easy way out. Yeah. Like, you know. It also could be pressure from the record company. I think that... Oh, certainly. You know, with these major label records, you know that there's always some A&R guy, probably, in the studio, steering them. It's subtly... Right. it's That's subtly the hook. As, yeah. Do that, yeah. Do, do, the hook, do the hook. Do the hook. Yeah, I know, I know about that making that record was like, you know, that's when the band was starting to break up. I know that Kim Deal was already starting to do The Breeders by then, and uh, I've I've read that Black Francis was kind of jealous of all the adulation she got, and yeah. kind of like took it out on her in passive-aggressive ways, but I also read that she was like kind of a pain in the ass as a bandmate. I think all you know, of that is probably all, you know, true. So you yeah. it's just like... And they basically hated each other by the end. I, I saw one of their last shows. They were opening for U2 on mm-hmm. the Octung Baby Tour. Okay. That one. And I had just seen yeah. them like a few months earlier in a much smaller venue. So now I'm seeing them in an arena. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. Thousands of people here to yeah. see the Pixies. They came out. They played. There was no spirit. There was no like sense of fun or passion to it. It was just a job. And... Uh, I wasn't surprised when they broke up a few months later. It right. just seemed like it was the end of the line for them. Sure.
0: Well, especially since the Breeders, they had a bigger hit oh, than yeah. the Pixies ever had, actually. Oh, yeah, and totally. Kind of, kind of a surprise, but totally. Um, no reason for Kim Deal to stay when her, her own band is doing better. Oh, than, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, that was our songs. That was our song. That was yeah. it. It's over. Yeah. yeah. All right. Pretty good bag of songs here.
1: Yeah. I, even the PIL one, which I hated at first. I came to realize there was at least some aspect of it that was actually really interesting so yeah. and then the other three all have a lot to say for them yeah. and um, happy to hear them again
0: yeah. <laughs> one thing that really struck me on this particular episode the singers are all just very unique
1: and distinct in the time we're talking about here 1990 there were just a lot of those voices out there and that was part of why I think we were huge fans yeah cool yeah it all was right. been fun
0: okay so if anyone uh, if anyone wants to check out the zags. zags oh
1: it's the zags.bandcamp.com we have a semi-recent single that comes up first but then if you look on the right side you'll find our entire discography check it out all right and uh, also facebook yes we're on facebook the zags you'll find us okay cool.
0: cool yeah and if anyone wants to get in touch with me you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com i'm will westerkow goodbye goodbye